0: With eyes unclouded by hate does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice hello everyone my name's Charlie you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and we are continuing our read through and study of the prophet by Khalil Gibran and I hope that you've been enjoying this series as much as I have this is a book that's meant a lot to me over the years and is one that I go back to and read probably too much yeah, probably too much. It's up there with the Joseph Campbell Companion, which if I could do the same thing with it, I would. But that's a very big book, and that would be like years, years of episodes. Because there's a lot. There's a lot in that book. But if you've never read it, you should definitely check that one out as well. So we're going to be picking up today on the with the chapter on Joy and Sorrow. If you have the desire to read along and pay attention with the text, the book is now in the public domain. So you should be able to get yourself a copy of it fairly easily. Just do a search for The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. And I'm actually reading one from uh, Project Gutenberg on my screen right now. So it is available online. So enjoy. Going to the text. And then a woman said, Speak to us of joy and sorrow. And he answered, Your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the selfsame well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be The deeper the sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven? And is it not the lute that soothes your spirit the very wood that was hollowed with knives? When you are joyous, look deep in your heart and you will find it is only that which has given you sorrow that is giving you joy. This is one of those wonderful, almost Zen Koan type chapters of the book where he takes two competing ideas, two things that are so often looked at and seen as opposites and shows you how they are interconnected and how they are really not even opposite sides of the same coin but how one brings the other one and how they interact with each other I love this phrase your joy is your sorrow unmasked because this is something that we've talked about a bit when we went through the chapter on love and it is brought up here in a different way so What does that mean? Your joy is your sorrow unmasked. That doesn't mean that every time you experience sorrow, now I feel as somebody who experiences depression, I have to say that that's not exactly what he's talking about here. He's talking about sorrow, when something bad happens to you, when a loved one is injured or sick or dying or has passed away, or something bad has happened and you feel sorrow. That's that's what we're referring to here. This is not necessarily about depression. Though I can say, from my own experience of depression, it makes me understand my experiences of joy even fuller. Because I know how deep I can go down. And when I, every now and then, have a moment and realize exactly how high I've risen in a very joyful moment, that... Distance that difference makes the joy seem even more heightened, so you can experience it that way, and if you are capable of it, I highly encourage you to try to experience life that way. but what we're talking about here mainly is sorrow, those sad things that happen when a relationship breaks up things of that nature and it's it's not saying that oh. Your sorrow and joy are exactly the same thing. I personally, when I read this line, I see it in two different ways. I believe, as you've heard me say on this show a thousand times, that joy, bliss, happiness, contentment, these are our natural state. These are the ground of our being. And when we practice meditation, we experience those deeper sensations and everything else slips away as we let go of those things that are distracting us. We begin to see that joy and that contentment that was always there with us. And so on one level, when I read this line, i that's what I hear, that's what I see, that our joy is our sorrow unmasked, that the sorrow has intervened. It has clouded over our joy. It has disturbed the placid pond that is our mind and our natural state and agitated it to the place where our mind now feels other than its natural native state. But in the same way, joy and sorrow are related in that Well, going back to what we talked about in the chapter on love, it is very often that we don't understand that we are in love until we are separated from that person, and we feel that sharp pain, that that yearning, that longing. That longing is a form of sorrow. It is a sense of absence that has overtaken us. And that sensation, that feeling, is often what we call love. Because that's how we know that it's there. When you don't miss the other person, then there's obviously little to no love between you, or you would notice their absence, you would feel their absence even more acutely. And so in that way also, our joy is our sorrow unmasked. That when we are back together with that person, we are able to experience that joy and that peace and that contentment that we would naturally have. And it's in those moments of sorrow that we notice what we've lost. And this image that our sorrow, the deeper our sorrow carves, how does he phrase it? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. This is one of those statements that you should never say to somebody who is depressed. This is one of those statements you should never say to somebody who is in the throes of sorrow or grief because they will see it as trite and probably slap you a bit, or want to slap you a bit, whether they actually act on it or not. But it is a very true statement. The The deeper we experience sorrow, and I'm not saying that you should seek out sorrow just so you can have this experience, but I've known people whose lives have been very peaceful and filled with contentment. And they... Find it very hard to experience the heights of joy. And I think that that's partially because the lack of contrast in their life. Everything seems the same. A good day and an okay day are only slightly different, whereas a bad day and a good day are remarkably different. And so that contrast is what shows us the difference. And as the prophet has been trying to teach us throughout his many sayings and aphorisms, learning to see bad experiences as something that is for our benefit is helpful to us as we try to get through our day. And so realizing here, as he says, that the cup that holds our wine is the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven... Imagine being the clay that was ripped from its home, smushed into the shape, and then thrown into an oven and baked and burnt until the glaze hardens and all the liquid is removed from it. That, that, that can't be a pleasant experience for the cup. And we normally don't have compassion for items like that, but when you think about it, there is a lot to that idea. But that cup is the is the same cup that holds our wine, our joy. You'll notice that he uses wine often to represent our joy and our exuberance and our celebration of life. Well, you wouldn't have the wine in the cup if the cup hadn't been through the fire. And this is an important lesson for us all to learn. We would not be who we are now if it wasn't for both our triumphs and for our sorrows. If it wasn't for both the positive and negative things that have happened to us, we would not be who we are. And learning to develop a sense of gratitude for those things is one of the hardest spiritual tasks that we ever partake in. And I'm not gonna say that it's easy and I would never say that it's easy. But I know some of the more difficult and mm, troubling and problematic experiences of my life are the ones that shaped me and made me capable of experiencing some of the greatest joys that I've ever had. If it wasn't for the great pilferings in my life and the times when friends betrayed me, I wouldn't have considered the importance of friendship and I wouldn't have striven the way that I have over the years to cultivate a group of friends that I really feel as though they are part of my own family. And that is a powerful thing that I earned because of the sorrows and the travails I went through through those bad relationships. Like the wood that is carved out with a knife to make a lute, I have learned to make music. It wasn't easy. And I wish I could say that here's the simple trick. Here's the little thing that you can do that makes it all work. Here's the little trick. And I I want to tell you right now, please, sisters and brothers, listen to me. Anyone who promises you that trick is trying to take your money from you. They don't actually have one. They don't there is no trick to this. Every one of us will have to find our own path. What worked for one of us will not necessarily work for others. We can share our experiences and we should share our experiences so that we can help each other to grow. But just because I have found peace with various aspects of my own past and have found ways to see them with gratitude does not mean that the path that I took to get here will work for others. Be very careful when someone promises you eternal happiness. That That's how drug dealers work. And I don't think that we often, you know, it's almost a cliche to quote Marx and say that that religion is the opiate of the masses. But when I look at a lot of religious teachers that are around today, They are selling the opium, and they're selling it hard. They're promising a panacea that will keep you from ever getting sick, ever feeling bad, that will keep you wealthy, that will keep you strong, that will keep you fit. That's not how life works. There's no magic. There's no secret. It's all about work and discipline and learning to have that time that you can set aside where you can listen peacefully, where you can listen to the very stillness of your own heart, to the stillness of your mind, making time for mindfulness so that you can see who and what you really are. There's no shortcut to the hard work and anyone who promises you a shortcut is selling snake oil. The prophet here is not offering snake oil. The prophet is telling us a basic truth and inviting us to find our own way down that path. Yes, our pain is like the knife cutting the wood to make the loot. It is like the furnace baking the clay into the chalice. But once those things are done, once you get through to the other side, then you can enjoy the wine and the music. How you get there will be with your friends and your family's support. And by cultivating that peace of mind, they'll help you get to the other side. We'll talk about this more after the break. And we're back. Hello. Um, I, I... I feel like I left the last segment on kind of a dark note and I didn't intend that, but I think it's a really important thing to stress here, especially when we're talking about spiritual matters, to understand that everyone wants an easy life. Everyone wants things to be simple and to believe that there is a wisdom out there that once you learn it will solve all of your problems. And I think there is wisdom out there that will help you that way. But it, it, it doesn't help simply in the knowing. You know, Immanuel Kant was wrong. To know the good is not to do the good. To do the good is to know the good. He was exactly backwards. It was, it was, it's exactly the opposite of what he thought. So I can tell you the Four Noble Truths, and I can explain to you the Eightfold Path. I can explain to you the Gospel. I can explain to you how compassion works. I can explain to you what compassion is. I can teach you how to meditate. If you don't meditate, if you don't practice compassion, if you don't walk the Eightfold Path, if you don't live with the Four Noble Truths and experience them in your life, they won't mean anything to you. They won't help at all. All of the wisdom of the prophets matters not if we don't actually engage it. It's why on almost every podcast you hear me quoting Malachi. What does God expect from you, O mortal? But that you love kindness, do justice, and walk humbly before your God. None of those is sit quietly, listen to other people, and just know things. No, you have to do things. It's about being active. I'm going to get off my soapbox. Let's go back to the text. When you are sorrowful, look again in your heart, and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight. This is probably one of the truest statements ever written, to the point where I I bet some of you maybe sniggered a little bit, just kind of, you know, let out a derisive sound when you heard me say that, because it sounds so obvious. And if it doesn't sound obvious to you, I invite you to actually look at the things that make you cry. They are always the things that you love most. When someone passes away, you're not sorrowful because you're sorrowful. You're sorrowful because you're remembering all of the wonderful times that you had with that person and how you will not have any new ones. It's that delight that you remember. It's that delight that is actually bringing you pain. This is why the Stoics, in a lot of their writings, tell you not to enjoy anything. Because in that enjoyment, you create attachments, and those attachments will lead to suffering. Those attachments will lead to pain. And they will. This is why the Buddhists and the Stoics both tell us that we shouldn't have attachment for things. But we should love. And love is an attachment. And that's where everything gets murky, because how do you have love without attachment? It's learning to hold something in your hand without crushing it. That's the trick to life. And knowing that sorrow will come. There's a story about the Buddha, and one day he was on his path back to Sarnath. And he was looking forward to sitting and meeting with um, the man who had put him and his monks up every year. And on the road, he met a messenger who told him that his friend had died. And the Buddha wept. The Buddha wept. This is an enlightened being. This is a man who had seen the Four Noble Truths, who had discovered the Four Noble Truths and discovered the Eightfold Path. But still he wept. Because in this life, they would not share any more time together. But this is the time when we learn the true meaning of non-attachment. If you hold on to that sorrow, if you hold on to that grief, it will destroy you. It will devour you from within. And so you have to let go. Continuing from the text. Some of you say, Joy is greater than sorrow. And others say, Nay, sorrow is greater than joy. But I say unto you, they are inseparable. Together they come, and when one sits alone with you at your board, remember that the other is asleep upon your bed. I think that's such an important lesson to learn. Joy is not greater than sorrow. Sorrow will one day come again. Sorrow is not greater than joy. It may take time, energy, and effort, but joy will come again. But when we have one, it is easy for us to get lost in the illusion of permanence that covers all things. We get trapped in this idea that everything is permanent. That the way things are now is the way things have always been and the way things will always be. That's never true. Nothing is permanent in this world. Nothing is permanent in this life. All things change. One thing gives to another. One thing will always change into another. It is an endless circle and an endless cycle. One thing arises and another falls. This is the very nature of life. And so remember when you sit at the table with joy, sorrow is sleeping in your bed. And at some point they will wake up. And the same is true and almost more important to remember when sorrow is upon you. That joy is sleeping in your bed. One day it will wake up and it will join you at the table again. And you will find that joy it hasn't left you forever. It cannot leave you forever. If sorrow is with you, then joy is there. It may be slumbering. It may be hiding. It may be pushed out of your mind because your attachment to the sorrow is so strong. I know in my own life I've experienced that on several occasions where I just didn't want to feel better. But in time, you learn. In time, you let go. In time, things change and everything works in the way it is supposed to work. So, don't let one cover the other. And don't let one distract you from the other. Remember that they are always with you in everything that you do. In every step that you take, they are your companions through all your life. They will always be with you. And don't ever let either of them tell you that they are here to stay and that they have cast the other out. If only that could be true. If only joy could cast out sorrow from our lives forever. But sorrow will find a way back in. It's like a fog that creeps under the door. It will find its way into your house and it will change everything. So let's go back to the text for the last stanza in this chapter. Verily, you are suspended like scales between your sorrow and your joy. Only when you are empty are you stand... Sorry, let me say that sounds again. Only when you are empty are you at standstill and balanced. When the treasure keeper lifts you To weigh his gold and silver, needs, must, your joy, or your sorrow, rise, or fall. Mm -hmm. This is a powerful image. One of the great things about this book is it gives us so many wonderful metaphors to contemplate our life with, and this one is so powerful and so wondrous. Notice that you are not either your joy or your sorrow. This distance is important. Yes, they are there. Yes, they will come. Yes, they will go. They will dance around you for all your life. But you are neither one of them. You are like scales between them. And so when the treasure keeper lifts you to weigh his gold and silver either your sorrow or your joy will rise or fall. as it depends which plate the gold and silver are placed upon. And that's such a vital image because we often feel weighed down by joy and lifted up. I'm sorry, weighed down by sorrow and lifted up by joy. But when you think about it, you're weighed down by either. Both of them come upon you and enter your mind and take from you whatever was there before. One will push out the other and lead you to this place where you can imagine that the other will never return. But remember that you are like the scales. This is something that I think we're going to be getting to and I'm not going to go too much into Star Wars right now but I think this is something that we're going to get to in the Star Wars series because this is such a big thing in our culture as we talk about the good and the evil, the light and the dark and that they must be in balance. And we talk so much about balance or we talk about complete and utter imbalance that you must be pure this or pure that. No one is pure Nothing is pure. Nothing that is under the sun is pure. So in all of this, remember that you are the scale. If you are feeling more of one than the other, then something has been placed in that plate to make you feel it more. Learning to find and to see what that is and gaining the insight from that so that you can adapt and change and become better. That is the real secret of life. And it's one I wish I could teach you. I wish someone could teach us. But it's something we have to learn for ourselves. If you don't learn how to see what is weighing in your own scale, no one can teach you how to do it. This is what mindfulness is for. This is what our mindfulness practice teaches us every day. When we sit there and we weigh the scale within us, and we try to find that balance, that equilibrium that allows us to enter the mindful state, we learn to see, we learn to gain insight into what's on those plates. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I've enjoyed doing it. I really love this book, and I hope you like this series. If you have, and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or this podcast, please do so. That really helps me out a lot. That tells the algorithm to share me with other people. If you've got a dollar, you can pass my way. Depending on the app that you're listening to me on, there will either be a button that says support, or in the show notes, there will be a link that says support on Anchor. If you click that, you can support me at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That money goes to me and helps me pay for upkeep on Wisdom's Cry and helps me to continue doing the things that I do. So thank you. If you don't have any money or you just don't feel like doing it right now, that's fine. I don't do this for money. But if you could, please say a prayer for me. Your prayers are powerful and they do help out a lot. And if you know anybody who you think will benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. That helps out a lot too. If you want to contact me, easiest way to probably do it is on Twitter. I'm Out on Twitter. You can find links to all my social media and everything that I do over at wisdomscry.com. And until next time, may God bless you and keep you ever growing in wisdom and compassion. Amen.